0: And they led Jesus to the high priest, and all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes came together. And Peter had followed him him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he was sitting with the guards and warming himself at the fire. Now I'm skipping to verse 63, uh, 66. 66. And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came. And seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were with the Nazarene Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway, and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him and began began again to say to bystanders, This man is one of them. But again, he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. Now going back to verse 55. And the high priest tore his garments and said, What further witnesses do we need? You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. And some began to spit on him and to cover his face and to strike him, saying, Prophesy. And And the guards received him with blows. May God bless the reading of his word.
1: morning, Crossbridge. It's a joy to be able to worship with all of you this morning. If you're here, maybe visiting for the first time, or you haven't been around for a while, welcome. Welcome back. We've been preaching through the gospel of Mark uh, these past couple months through a sermon series called Follow Me. Last week, if you might remember, Pastor Jeff Arthurs preached. He, He preached on Mark chapter 14, verses 12 to 52, on this idea of faithless disciples and a faithful Savior. Now our passage today is going to finish Mark chapter 14. It's going to continue this narrative of the abandonment of Jesus, although perhaps maybe with a slightly different focus. About 10 years ago, I was interning overseas in Shanghai, and uh, at my work, there was also uh, another intern around my age. And so from time to time, we would we'd get lunch together because we were in a similar life stage, and, and neither one of us was from the area. And so as a, as a Christian who grew up in church, church was a large part of my life. Not even talking about faith or your relationship with Jesus or your beliefs, just talking about all the things that come with being part of a church community, small group, worship team, Serving in different areas, church events, having family members who who go to your church or maybe perhaps a good number of your friends as well. And so because of this, sometimes it's really hard to talk about what you're doing this weekend or what you've been up to recently without mentioning something about church. Again, you know, not talking about faith or doctrine or beliefs, I'm just saying that if If someone were to ask me what my plans are for the weekend, I'd probably say something like, oh, you know what, I'm going to to fellowship at my church on Friday. Or, you know, yeah, I didn't get to sleep in on Sunday, I was at church. Or, or, you know, my, my church has a missions conference this weekend with guest speaker Paul Borthwick, you know, I'm going to his workshop on, on Saturday at 3.30 p.m. in the sanctuary about how what we believe interfaces with our careers. I think it's really going to be good for our young adults and, and college students. <laughs> Hypothetically speaking, that's, that's what I would say. So when I get lunch, when I got lunch with my fellow intern, we, we naturally have these, these types of conversations, right? What our plans are, what we do in our, our spare time. And, and here's the thing we'll often talk about the things that are most important to us. Easily, naturally, we may not notice it, but other people do. And and that's what happened with this other intern. So I I briefly shared what I did in my free time, and he quickly responded, oh, you know, so it seems like church or, or faith is pretty important to you, right? Now, in that moment, it was as if God was signaling to me with his air traffic batons, you know, runways all clear for you to talk about Jesus. Go for it. But instead of saying, you know, yeah, it is important to me. Do you have any experience experience with that? Or what do you think about that? I, I panicked. For one reason or another, didn't want to talk about it at all. So I said, yeah, and then changed the subject. In our passage this morning, uh, Jesus had just been betrayed and arrested. And we see this picture uh, of Jesus' disciples who desert him. They leave and abandon him. In the last few verses of last week's passage, we read there, and they all left him and fled. And a young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth about his body. They seized him, but he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. So, what's going on here? And more importantly, perhaps for some of you and in your minds, who is this naked man? You know, forget the fact that Jesus was just arrested. We want to know who this guy is that's streaking across the pages of our Bible. So, let me deal with that first. We don't know. And it's okay because that's not the point that Mark's trying to make. Mark's point is to show the total abandonment of Jesus Christ. You see, even this young man who was following Jesus would rather leave his clothes behind and run away naked than be caught associating himself with Christ. In our passage, as Jesus is being tried before the Jewish leaders, who is left? Peter. Good old Peter. Peter, the one who in Mark chapter 8, that that climax of the gospel of Mark, in that chapter, Peter is the one who confesses to Jesus, you are the Christ. You are the Messiah. Peter's left. But spoiler alert, even, even he's going to abandon Jesus. Our passage for today is structured in a way that should be very familiar to, to many of us by now, hopefully. So, so if I—let's play fill in the blank, right? If I say Markin, you say— Yes! <laughs> Great. I'm so glad. I was worried. So throughout Mark's—if so some of you are confused about how we went about talking about the Savior, to talking about sandwiches, let me explain. Throughout Mark's account of the gospel, we will, he will sometimes take one story— split it in half, and insert another story in the middle, J- just like a sandwich, right? So it's a literary device to illustrate the contrast between these two stories with the story on the outside, the, the bread serving as a foil to the story in the middle, the meat our, our focus. So-, so Mark sets up this narrative in this way to present this idea of bearing witness. That's what today's passage is about, bearing witness. What does Jesus do amidst false witnesses and failing disciples? He bears true witness to his identity as the Messiah, the Son of God. What do disciples of Jesus do when faced with challenges to faith? Unlike Peter, they bear witness to Jesus, choosing to deny themselves rather than to deny Jesus. So if you have your Bibles, let's let's turn to our passage for today. Mark chapter 14, 53 to 72. We're going to be working our way through the text, so I encourage you to follow along in your personal Bible, the Pew Bibles, or your phone Bible. Here's the first point. The world is watching our witness. This whole passage is about bearing witness. So looking first at Peter, right, in this sandwich, what does he do? Peter distances himself and denies Jesus. So verses 53 to 54 and 66 to 72. At the beginning of our passage, Jesus is being led to the high priest and all the Jewish leaders are convening together. So look at verse 54. Peter had followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest and he was sitting with the guards and warming himself at the fire. Notice where Peter's at. All the other disciples have fled. Peter alone is following Jesus. Now, that's what a disciple does, right? He or she follows Jesus. That's what this sermon series is about. Follow me. And yet, Peter, though, is following Jesus at a distance. He follows Jesus right into the courtyard of the high priest and he sits with the guards. He's sitting with the very people who are about to beat and strike jesus and so before peter even denies jesus verbally he begins to deny him physically you know as he says to the girl no 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 no, i'm not not with jesus he moves further away from jesus so in verse 68 he says to the girl i, I neither know nor understand what you mean and he goes out into the gateway and the rooster crows. Peter's still in the courtyard, just at the, at the gate, the entrance, the gateway now. He, he, maybe, perhaps, he wants to feel close without actually being close. Peter fails in following Jesus by distancing himself. Peter fails in following Jesus also by denying him. Jesus had already predicted early on that this would happen in last week's passage. In verses 26 to 31, Jesus says to them, You will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. And Peter, he says to him, even though they all fall away, I will not. Jesus says to him, Truly, I tell you this very night, before the rooster crows twice, he will deny me three times. But Peter says emphatically, If I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. And now in today's passage, we see this come to pass. Peter says to Jesus, I would rather die with you than to deny you. Peter says to the girl, I would rather deny Jesus. Than to die with him. As we read this passage, we, we're going through this passage. Mark is using this word deny, and he's creating this hyperlink all the way back to Mark chapter 8. So, one of the benefits for us at, at Crossbridge as we work our way through the gospel, you know, a lot of the things that have already been mentioned that we've preached on, it should maybe hopefully be, be being brought to our, our minds, to the forefront of our minds. And so here, this word deny is creating this hyperlink. So in Mark chapter 8, 34, he says to his disciples, and this is right after Peter says to Jesus, you are the Christ. I mean, he has a a misunderstanding of what that means, so Jesus corrects corrects him, and he explains to the disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Same word here. Jesus is on the road to the cross. Peter is following Jesus at a distance, but when push comes to shove, Peter chooses to deny Jesus rather than to deny himself. The world is watching our witness. What does Peter do? He refuses to bear witness to Jesus, to associate himself with Christ Messiah, the Son of God. Now what does Jesus do amidst False witnesses and failing disciples. Jesus bears true witness to his identity. That's to say that Jesus declares himself to be the Messiah, the Son of God. This middle section of the mark and sandwich, the focus here. Now in Mark, if you're seeking to do something, you're usually seeking to do something that's not so good. Mark 14:1. The chief priests and scribes are seeking how to arrest Jesus by stealth and kill him. Mark 14, 11, Judas seeks an opportunity to betray Jesus. And so now in verse 55, the Jewish leaders are seeking, again, testimony, witness against Jesus to put him to death. And now this, this word testimony or witness is mentioned seven times just in these, first, these few verses. But even the idea of bearing witness permeates and runs through the entirety of this passage. Peter bears no witness. The Jewish leaders bear false witness. And here only Jesus bears true witness to himself. So we continue on in our passage, verse 61 to 62. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? That's the Son of God. And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. Now for the first time, if we've been tracking here, and the first time in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus finally reveals publicly who he is. He declares himself to be the Messiah, God's Son. And he does it when the crowds are not around to crown him king. He does it in the context of the cross and suffering. Only then does he reveal who he is, what it means to be the Messiah, what it means to be God's son. And in the response here, the high priest tore his garments and said, what further witnesses do we need? You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. See, there's there's no need for false witnesses anymore. Jesus himself provided that witness. And that was that Jesus claimed to be the Son of God. The issue here is it's not so much that Jesus was declaring himself to be the Messiah. A lot of people had done that in that time. That wasn't necessarily blasphemy. The the problem here, well, for the Jewish people, they believed the Messiah just to be a man among men. It was Jesus' claim to be God's son, to ascribe God's honor to himself, to equate himself with God. That, That was blasphemy, deserving of death. Now, with the way that Mark is Structuring this passage, his sandwich, he, he points, he points to Jesus as the model for us for, for bearing witness, no matter what challenges may come. You remember the very first sermon that Pastor Jeff Arthurs preached in this series? Okay, it's a rhetorical question. He preached on three questions, just as a reminder, that would show up throughout the Gospel of Mark. Who are we following? Jesus, the Son of God. Where are we going? Into the kingdom of God. Into the reign of God. What will the journey be like? The same as it was for Jesus. full of service, sacrifice, even suffering. So what does Jesus do amidst false witnesses and failing disciples? He bears true witness to his identity as the Messiah, the Son of God. What do disciples of Jesus do when faced with challenges to faith? They bear witness, not to themselves, but to Christ, choosing to deny themselves rather than to deny Jesus. And so the world is watching our witness. That's the first point. Here's the second. Our response? Deny yourself, not Jesus. Now, what does that exactly mean? What does, it, what does it mean to deny yourself? It might mean a whole range of things, depending on which passage we're talking about when we look at it's, it's the situation and the context. Here, though, I, I think in, in Mark 14, one of the implications is this. Do not be ashamed of being associated with Jesus. And, and I think what that means is it's not even just Being afraid of saying, I'm a Christian, because I know many of us aren't afraid of of that. But it's not being ashamed of bearing witness, to pointing to Christ. This is who he is. To call forth people to repentance, to present the gospel. Now looking again at Peter, as Peter's in the courtyard, three times he's accused of his association with Jesus. Verse 67, you also were with the Nazarene, Jesus. Verse 69, this man is one of them. Verse 70, uh, certainly you are one of them, you are, for you are a Galilean. Each time Peter denies it, each time more vehemently, until he swore, I don't know this man of whom you speak. As we look to ourselves, I think sometimes we, we might have a misplaced shame a misplaced shame in jesus and his words in the gospel perhaps we're embarrassed of christ maybe we're embarrassed for christ when then we look to jesus who himself was neither embarrassed or apprehensive when it came to bearing true witness to himself no matter what he was facing Again, we, we think, you know, and I understand this, we, we know how Christianity is portrayed sometimes. We also know that Christians have not always been the greatest examples of Christ followers. And that's why they, they, we still need grace, not just for our salvation, but for our sanctification. But given all that sometimes, we still feel like we have to be apologetic in our apologetic. That's to say that we have to be apologetic in our defense of the gospel. Now, God urges us in 1 Peter, be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason, for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. And so, yes, as we we bear witness, yeah, we do it with gentleness and respect. But remember, we need not feel shame for the gospel. We need not feel shame for Jesus. Now the gospel, the gospel is offensive. But you don't have to be. The gospel, the, the message of Jesus Christ, this glorious gift of salvation, that message is, was offensive 2,000 years ago. It's still offensive today. Why? I'm going to read a quote from Tim Keller, who I think explains it pretty well. It's a long quote, but I have it on the slides. He says this, The preaching of the gospel is terribly offensive to the human heart. See, people find it insulting to be told that they are too weak and sinful to do anything to contribute to their salvation. The gospel is offensive to liberal-minded people who charge the gospel with intolerance because it states that the only way to be saved is through the cross. The gospel is offensive to conservative-minded people because it states that without the cross, good people are in as much trouble as bad people. Ultimately, the gospel is offensive because the cross stands against all schemes of self-salvation. The world appreciates religion and morality in general. The world thinks that moral religion is a good thing for society. But the world is offended by the cross. And so people who love the cross are persecuted. The cross is by nature offensive, and we can only grasp its sweetness if we first grapple with its offense. If someone understands the cross, it is either the greatest thing in their life or it is repugnant to them. If it is neither of these two things, they haven't understood it. Do you see what he's getting at? The gospel is... Is offensive because the cross stands against all schemes of self salvation. Rooted deep in our own hearts is this desire to create our own salvation, to give meaning, create meaning to our own lives. Because we don't like hearing the message no, you can't save yourself. Doesn't matter how good you are, how much effort you put in how much you've tried. Because we're, a sin- we're sinners. You and I are sinners. We've fallen short of God's glory, of his holiness, and there is only one solution. Jesus Christ. And yes, Christ, Jesus, he does give you meaning and purpose in life. But Jesus didn't in your heart. He came to be Lord over your whole heart. Notice how Keller ends. If someone understands the cross, it is either the greatest thing in their life or it is repugnant to them. If it is neither of these two things, they haven't understood it. And so as we bear witness to Jesus in our schools, in our workplaces, with our family and our friends, we do so from the place of someone who is as much in need of the grace of Jesus as the one to whom we're bearing witness to. Understanding this gift of grace—that's what keeps us from bearing witness in self-righteousness, in pride, in lording it over them. It's what allows us to do so with gentleness and respect. And as we bear witness, listen to what Paul says to Timothy: For God gave us a spirit, not of fear but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, do you see that connection, the the conjunction here? Therefore, the, the, the result, right, of what God has given us. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. Do not be ashamed of being associated with Jesus. Do not be ashamed of the gospel. And what's interesting here, too, as we look at this passage, what's interesting is that even before before Peter denies Jesus verbally, he's already begun to distance himself physically. And isn't that the reality sometimes? That before we get to a place where we would outrightly say to others, I don't follow Jesus. I'm not with him. We have already stopped following Jesus long before. But there is hope. There is hope. See, I like how one commentator put it. He he says this, Peter's example is a warning to disciples. Then and now, them and us, that faithful witness to Jesus is most important and most easily betrayed in simple and ordinary actions and words. But there's hope. You see, Mark may have concluded this section with Peter's story to remind his congregation in Rome, his perhaps persecuted congregation in Rome, that not even the best Christian or lead apostle or disciple is immune to apostasy. Nor, as we shall see, is he beyond the promise of grace. And that gives hope to you and me as well. Deny yourself. Not Jesus. What does that mean? Don't be ashamed of being associated with Jesus. Why does it matter? Because after Christ's vilification comes his vindication. In a passage all about bearing witness, as Jesus bears witness to who he is, the Son of God, notice what he says to the leaders. Verse 62, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power. You will see, you will will witness. The Jewish leaders are vilifying Jesus, resulting in his crucifixion. God, on the other hand, will vindicate Jesus in his resurrection. Resurrection. Jesus is not just any ordinary man. He is the Messiah, the Son of God. And if Jesus is who he says he is, then what he says also matters. Mark 8, 38, again, hyperlinking us back to Mark 8. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angel the same passage where Jesus is saying, if anyone wants to follow me, let him take up his cross and deny himself. And he says here in in this verse, whoever is ashamed of me, not just me, but of my words, right? So it's not just saying that, you know, being afraid of saying I'm a Christian, but being afraid of the gospel, of what Jesus came here to do, which is good news. Brothers and sisters, I urge you Let's together, you know, let's not be ashamed of Jesus. Let's not deny ourselves, or let's deny ourselves, but Jesus, and not Jesus. I began the sermon with a story from, from when I did not want to bear witness. Let me end with a story, hopefully, from, from my own life where I learned a little bit, and, and hopefully it's a slightly better before I left New York, uh, I was going to a new barber. Uh, I like to keep my hair short, uh, and I hate it when my hair touches my ears, so I go pretty often, right, twice a month, two or, every two or three weeks, and, and also because my hair goes pretty fast, right? So I'm often going to the barber. Now, when I get my hair cut on my day off, you know, I just want to go in, get my hair cut, and be on my way. And I want to talk. I've been talking all week. I'm talking right now. I just want to get what I came here to get. Right. And so the first several times I went to this barber, I, I went in, got my hair cut, and left. Did my thing. Went about my day. But, but God had con- been convicting me that this was not right. Especially since around that time I was leading my own college and young adult fellowships through the book of Jonah. I was preparing a sermon series on Jonah at this outreach and discipleship retreat. And so God was kind of convicting me and telling me, look, my my day off might be a break from certain pastoral responsibilities, but it was not a break from following Christ. Even if I wasn't preparing a sermon on my day off, God's call to make disciples was still there because that command wasn't made to pastors or ministers. It was made to those who follow Christ. And so what was I going to do? God had kind of been revealing to me some of the ways in which I could go about this. One of the ways was this, that, that I realized, hey, I'm a creature of habit. I go to the same three or four restaurants, always order the same two or three things. Maybe you say I'm, I'm risk-averse or I don't like change. Maybe it's a good thing or a bad thing. But uh, what usually does end up happening is this, that they remember me. Oh, hey, it's that guy who comes in and always orders like number two or whatever. And, and I realized that I could leverage this for God's kingdom. See, if I'm always going to the same three or four places, then I have the opportunity to build relationships with the people there. And so with this barbershop, that actually meant taking the time to strike up a conversation. As much as I didn't want to, as much as I wanted to be introverted, you know, as much as I didn't want to talk, I saw the beauty of Christ, his grace, and I wanted others to as well. So it was not so much the duty, we do it for the duty, but we also do it for the beauty of Jesus. Now, a lot of the barbers there, they were from Israel, at least they were Israeli. And I'd been to Israel, I'd studied in Jerusalem, and I know Hebrew, so that ended up coming up in conversation. As I got to know him, and he got to know me. As we talked again, you know, about, you talk about the things that are most important to you. People will notice He asked about what I did, about what being a pastor or minister is like, and that led to more conversations. I told him I was taking my college students to Urbana, this missions conference. A few weeks after I came back, he remembered and asked me about how it went. A few weeks before I moved back to Boston, I came in one day for a haircut. The first thing, the very first thing he says to me is, hey, what do you think about the name Jonah? I was like, what'd you say? Yeah, Jonah, it's a, it's a prophet name, right? You know, what do you think about it? I, I don't know too much about him. Some family members are, are thinking about naming their kid Jonah. What do I think about Jonah? Let me tell you about Jonah. <laughs> I have, you know, four sermons all ready for you. I didn't, I didn't preach to him. But from there, I explained to him what Jonah was all about. And, and when I was able to connect to God's grace in the gospel. And it was an amazing opportunity that, that God had worked in and used. Brothers and sisters, let us come together to be faithful in the places that God has put us in. And remember he, has, remember, he has not called us to save others. That's God's job, only to bear witness to Jesus. And as we do so, we hold to the hope that we have in Christ. So let us bear witness to Jesus with all boldness, not ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, and choosing to deny ourselves rather than to deny Christ. Let's pray. Father God, we give you thanks, Lord, for the cross. We give you thanks for Jesus, for in him we have hope. In him we have salvation. Father, I pray that you would instill in us this passion and desire to see your name be held up, to be praised, to be glorified, not just in our own lives, but in the lives of the people around us. Help us to fear and worship you more than we fear and worship man and woman, Lord. Give us courage and boldness by your word and your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.